Welcome to the American Patchwork and Quilting Podcast, sponsored by Moda Fabrics, Baby Lock, and Northcott. We have a terrific show filled with tips and tricks for you today. So let's get to it. Here's your host, Pat Sloan. Welcome to American Patrick and Quilting's podcast. I am your host, Pat Sloan. You know, today I have a whole group of quilters and people who are within the quilt industry, but not necessarily quilters. So you'll have to listen in to see who that is. Jeannie Jenkins here with me. First up, she is an award-winning quilt maker, designer, a long armor. She goes out and teach, so you may have been taking classes with her. And she has a brand new book called Contemporary Paper Piece Quilts. Jeannie, thank you for joining me. Oh, thank you for having me on the show, Pat. So give me a little backstory. Uh, how long have you been sewing? I've been sewing since I was a child. And oh. I think it started out with making clothes for, for my Barbie dolls. Mm-hmm. And, and then at 10, uh, my mom signed me up for a dressmaking class. And I think it was the best thing she ever did for me. Um, I just fell in love with sewing. And, you know, by age 10, I had made it a dress, set in sleeves, put in a zipper. So, you know, by yeah. middle school, when all the kids were just learning, mm-hmm. I was well into sewing. And yeah. uh, my teacher took me under her wing, and I was pretty excited. And I think there was one time we had an unplanned fire drill, and we oh. were all to line, we were all to line up at the door. And I had brought my sewing basket with all my supplies in it to class. (laughs) And we're waiting in line to go file out to the yard, and I dashed back to rescue my sewing box. And boy, did I get in a lot of trouble for that one. (laughs) I bet. But you know what? All of us can relate. We could all be like, we could be that panic. We can't leave that in there. No, no. That was precious to me. (laughs) That's right. Did you go to, did you go on after high school to study uh, in Texas? Textiles? Um, I did. Uh, briefly, I took uh, one year of fashion design in college, yeah. and then I kind of decided that that wasn't the direction that I wanted to go. And then I went to OCAD, which is the Ontario College of Art and Design, and studied environmental design, which is a, a little bit like interior design. Okay. And I remember cutting through the fiber studio wishing I was there, and I really probably <laughs> should have switched. <laughs> Oh, it's like, you know, oh, I want to go over and sew. That's Oh, I know, I know. And they were printing on fabric, and uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it was really amazing. Yeah. So, so when did you make your first quilt? Um, well, it's funny. That's a funny story. Um, while I was in our college, my aunt called me late one night and asked me if I wanted to make some extra money, and she mm-hmm. knew that I sewed. Mm-hmm. Um, and she said her friends wanted two quilts for her twin daughters, and would I be interested in doing this mm-hmm. commission? So I wanted to do it, and I thought I'll just go down to the local quilt shop and see if it's something I can figure out how to do, because I'd never taken a class. <laughs> <laughs> so my first quilt was a commission. <laughs> right. Oh, that is too funny. But, you know, you did set in sleeves and zippers, so you could definitely... Uh, figure out as long as you could read a pattern right you could figure out making a quilt yeah and I didn't even have a pattern she just wanted squares and (laughs) so I mean it was before rotary cutters it was I used a yardstick and scissors and a lead pencil to mark and um 
I made $100 for my labor for two quilts. Yes. <laughs> and uh, I can't really say that I love the process, um, mm-hmm. but when my friends saw them, everybody wanted them. And at that time, a lot of my friends were getting married, and it just kind of snowballed. And I wound up making about 30 of these things. <gasps> And, uh, <laughs> mind you, I raised my price, I raised my prices every time. Yeah. Um, but, but after a few years of making these, I kind of took a break from quilting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I see, I could see that. <laughs> I, <laughs> you know, that was probably like, that was like a sweatshop environment because you're going to school yeah. <laughs> and you're making quilts on the side, you know. I know. <laughs> Well, your designs now are spectacular. Your your book, oh, Paper Piece you. Quilts, is just full of such innovative quilts. When did you first design your, you know, when did you design your first quilt? Um, well, I, I, when I started quilting, I actually was teaching arts and crafts to seniors. Mm. And the seniors reintroduced me to quilting. So then I took... Um, the beginner class learned properly, um, you know, how to, how to make a quilt. Mm-hmm. And, um, then I joined a guild and wow. there was a woman named Sharon Craig who came to our mm-hmm. guild and in her lecture, she kept saying, what if that's what stood out to me. Mm-hmm. And it really got me thinking when I viewed a quilt, instead of, you know, copying the quilt, you say, you know, what if I change the layout or what if I change the colors or what if I change the scale? And so, you know, for me to see a quilt that's already finished and reproduce it, I, I want to watch the quilt evolve Mm-hmm. And and get that surprise at the end, and so I needed to change things and do things my own way, and then I had something original. That's fascinating because you know I think a lot of us you know we sit in those kind of talks and we're inspired, but you were inspired in a really unique way to sort of change the, your whole workflow. Hmm. Yeah. And I even I even taught I, I teach beginners. Um, a lot of beginner classes, and I even tell the beginners when they go to quilt shows is really look at the quilts and see what you like and, and also what you don't like. Mm-hmm. And and it will kind of give you an idea of your own style will start to come out of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I like that idea of like you don't need to tell other people what you don't like, but you know internally you you can say exactly, to yourself, well, exactly. You know, that, yeah, <laughs> you I tell them that too. Out loud. Uh, but yeah, you know, but saying it to yourself lets you dissect what you're looking at and what you're yeah. feeling about it. Yeah, what do you like and what do you not like? So what? How yeah. do you describe your style now? Do you you know do you like to 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 describe it at all. Some people don't like to describe their style. Well, I think it, it's funny. I think the modern quilt guild sized it up quite nicely. Modern traditionalism, I think, is me because I really love modern. Um, I love the aesthetic of it. Um, but my roots are in traditional quilting. So, you know, I kind of take Tradition, some traditional blocks most of the time, and then just kind of either twist or distort them. And you know, what if I do this to it? What if I do that to it? And and make it into something that's my own. Well, let's talk about your book because um, I want to 
you know, contemporary paper piece quilts. I mean, they really are unique. And what I love uh-huh. is in the beginning, you talk about how taking it, taking a vision of a block that you had and putting it into paper piecing let you make it with perfection. You know, like you, you could get everything to line up and it, you know, wasn't aggravating at all. So how did you, uh-huh. how did you approach what you wanted to have in your book? Um, well, first of all, I wanted all my projects to be uh, 100% original. So really, I was playing on EQ7, and that's when I just played with different blocks. Mm-hmm. And same thing, you know, distorting them and doing different things um, to make it to make it original. I also wanted some projects that were beginner-friendly um, because... That's the one thing that I find um, I don't want beginners to get discouraged by, you know, not having their points be pointy and not having mm-hmm. things matched. And that's the one thing about paper piecing is if you sew on the lines, <laughs> it will work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it, it's just a case of cutting large. You don't have to be accurate in your cutting. Um, but, you know, if you stay on the lines, it'll work. <laughs> Yeah. In your book, what would be the, some of them look more complex. So, and some of them look maybe more, you know, friendly to first timers. Which would you yeah. recommend for a first timer? Well, or, you know, I kind not, of put them, yeah, I put them in order. So the ones okay. at the beginning of the book are the easier ones. Okay. Um, and you, as you work your way through, they get more complex. Mm-hmm. You know, you have a beautiful sense of color. That's what I'm looking oh, at this book. You. you know, you use a lot of fabrics. I mean, not uh-huh. a zillion, but there's, you know, there's a variety. Each quilt is, uh, I would, I would call it almost a little bit controlled scrappy on some of them because yeah. you have uh, a lot of different fabrics. What, how do you approach pulling the fabric for a quilt? Well, I find I have quite a big stash. stash. I've worked in a number of quilt shops. <laughs> really? <laughs> and, <I've> ne- <laughs> and, and the thought of ever de-stashing has never entered my mind. <laughs> so just pulling fabrics, until, as long as they play nicely side by side, mm-hmm. I like to kind of challenge myself to make them work. So you could pull out a whole pile of fabrics and think, ooh, that one wouldn't work. It doesn't go with that one. Well, maybe if it's not right next to it, mm-hmm. you know. And and so sometimes, you know, when people think things won't go, I like to challenge myself to make them go. <laughs> right. So do we have about a minute. Do you have one sort of big tip for doing paper piecing? Um, yeah, actually I do. Um, the one thing I think is the major complaint that I get from people that for paper piecing is the actual sewing on one side and putting your fabric on the blank side of the fab mm-hmm. or of the pattern. Mm-hmm. And they just get real left right confusion. And I found if I fold kind of like I have an evening of origami and I just Mm -hmm. take all my paper patterns, cut them to size, and then I fold on all the sewing lines. So then Mm -hmm. I'm ready to go. And um, so if you do that, you you now have all the fold lines on the paper and Mm -hmm. you can now see where to place your fabrics on the wrong side. 
That's that's a really really good tip, Jeannie. That's fabulous. I I I have to try that one. I've not tried that one. You, you know, should. we're out of yeah. time. And I want to be sure everybody goes to visit you at uh, Jeannie Jenkins. And on Instagram, you're at Itchin' to Stitch. I am. You, yeah, and they can find out where you are and follow along and see your absolutely stunning and gorgeous quilts. Thank you for being here. Oh, thank you for having me. It was lots of fun. We'll be right back after the break. Moda Fabrics started in 1975 as United Notions. Today, Moda Fabrics leads the way with innovative fabrics designed in-house and by many of the industry's most popular designers and creative talents. As for United Notions, it continues to distribute the very best notions, books, patterns, and supplies available. Moda Fabrics and Supplies is what you may hear them go by now, but they still have the same great products and customer service they've had for more than 40 years. Visit modafabrics.com or your local quilt shop to see the latest in fabric and notion. I know our listeners love a good deal. We have a special offer just for our podcast listeners. Get 50% off a downloadable pattern of your choice in our online shop. Visit apqshop.com, add a digital pattern to your cart, and enter coupon code PODCAST at checkout. Then get quilting. Visit our show notes for more. Welcome back to American Patchwork and Quilting's podcast. I'm Pat Sloan, and I am so excited to talk to the fabulous Pat Yeaman. She is uh, from the website Come Quilt With Me, and if you have been to a show anywhere in probably the universe, you've probably met Pat, seen her booth. You might even have some of her products, such as her famous Brooklyn Revolver, which is a cutting mat, uh, if you've been quilting a while. Pat, thank you for being here. Oh, thanks. It's going to be a great afternoon. I have lots of stories to share with you, so just ask me whatever you want to ask me. <laughs> you do have lots of stories. We were we were going back and forth. I mean, we cannot fit in all of Pat's stories, so I'm going to pick and choose some of the best ones because Pat, you have you have been in business since the '70s in quilting. Right. Um, that is just crazy long time. That's awesome. You must have been 10 years old. I know. Oh that yeah, that's right. How- <laughs> I'm one of the, I actually can say I'm one of the pioneers in the business. I mean, you look back at all the teachers and people who started this business the same time that I did. It's just mm-hmm. amazing, and I, I mean, the industry is great. So, why did you start? You have this, you know. Why did you feel a need to have quilting as a business back in the '70s? I mean, there wasn't really much going on. There wasn't anything going on. Um, well, I, I came from a, a family of sewers, so I had done a lot of uh, sewing. And actually, um, I have to tell you honestly, I think I was in high school before I knew you could go to a store and buy a dress because oh. I made all my own clothes and knitted all yeah. my own sweaters. And then finally, I, I did find out that you could go and buy these things. But anyway, I started the quilting because it, 
I'm from the Midwest, like I said, and it was my therapy at, in the evenings to be calm because coming from a little town to a big city, I didn't know anybody, and I said, I can just start quilting. Well, to make a long story short, there were no, there was nowhere you could find supplies, and the only place you could even get fabric if they had it in stock was Macy's or Kimball's, and that was just a very limited selection. So I did some research on my own, and I decided, well, I'm just going to start buying quilting supplies, and maybe I'll take out an ad or two in a local paper, and I can have some people come over to my, my house, and we can sit around my table, and I, I can teach them <laughs> how to do quilting. And then it kind yeah. of exploded from there. And you're in New York City. Were you in Manhattan? No, we were living in downtown Brooklyn at the time okay. um, in a railroad apartment. And that apartment we were only paying $80 a month for. It was in Fort Greene. And some of your listeners might know of Fort Greene. That area now goes for $5,000 an apartment. <laughs> so it's one of those stories that you wish you would have kept it, but I didn't keep it. No. So, so, so people actually, when you put this little ad, you had other people who wanted to learn to quilt come to uh, your classes. Correct. Yep. We had bought a yeah. house at, during that trend, during that time when I, we had the apartment. I was, I had a little bedroom that I was using for my sewing. Then I decided to set up a quilting frame. And my husband also is an artist, but we, to get mm-hmm. to the other two rooms of the apartment, we had to crawl into that quilting frame. And he said, "How long is this going to be up?" And I said, "Well, <laughs> to do hand quilting, it takes quite a while." And then, as it turns out, chance turns out, my friend had a house for sale. I came to visit her, bring her a baby gift, and she was asking an enormous amount of money for this big Victorian house in Flatbush. And we gave her a stupid offer, and but she said sold. And so <gasps> now I went from eighty dollars to a mortgage, and it, mm-hmm. things just kind of like started from there. And then I. Uh, started teaching more classes, having more people come to my house. We actually were using the maid's bedroom because they could come up the back staircase, go right in there. And then one day I'm looking around, and I have 12 people in that little room, and I said, I think I need to find a bigger space. (laughs) (laughs) This is just crazy. You know, I think, you know, and this is all before the Internet, so those of you who can't even remember before the Internet, I mean, it's amazing what – actually happened before we could communicate online. Nowadays, you would have had 500 people show up at your house, Pat, if you had put that on the Internet. <laughs> <That's>, um, <laughs> I probably would. So you've done um, a, f- a bunch of different things. Because you were there with as being one of the, the um, very few you know, faces of make, of, of teaching and making quilts, I, I bet you've had a few offers over the years to do some unusual things. I have. I've been very fortunate. It is a blessing being in New York City, even though we don't have a quilt shop. It's where the magazines all have editorial offices, the TV stations, um, the press. Um, I used to do a lot of work with Country Living Magazine. So, Hmm. you know, you're just at the right place at the right time. Um, Last summer, there was a photographer who came and shot most of my antique quilt collection because... um, Calvin Klein is now doing billboards in this, in the city, and he said, mm-hmm. you know, we really want some unusual quilts. Would you mind if I can take these photographs? And he said, I'm not sure if we're going to use them this fall, but we'll have them in our file at, perhaps for another time. So that was pretty cool. That is very cool. And, and you told me you did a quilt for a movie? I did. Oh, that was really wild. Um, I was the quilt consultant for a movie a long time ago. It was called Sweet mm-hmm. Liberty. 
um, Alan Alda was the main character, and he had he was a um, history professor out on Long Island, and his partner was Lisa Hillbolt. Uh, unfortunately, she had a quilting studio. I taught her also how to quilt, uh, how to mm-hmm. cut out the pieces and so forth. But that part of the script was on the cutting room floor, so to speak. Oh. So it didn't get included. <laughs> but I did make a quilt for him, and it was the, I made the quilt called. Um, he was since he was history professor. He wanted this quilt that, that says "Do not, don't tread on me." It was from uh-huh. the Revolutionary War. Right. Um, and anyway, as a sidebar to that little note, um, I was taking pictures all along during the whole project because I had to make several quilts for the bed and so forth. And mm-hmm. I didn't know at the time because in those days um, there were 35 millimeter cameras, and it still clicked even though you didn't. I didn't know it at the until the <laughs> end. I had no film on my camera. Ah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I was so bummed. I was so bummed. But anyway, yeah. that, was a, that was a great project, and he sent me a nice handwritten note from he and his wife. They bought the quilt from me, and oh. so that was that was a great job. Yeah, that is it. It is interesting when you live in a place where all these things are going on that they just go local, really, to you know, to try to find what they need for, you know, scripts, you know, photos, uh, ads. That's us. Uh, that is very cool. Now, when you started going on the road um about when did quilt shows happen that you could vend at them i can't remember uh, when the first ones were um it was like 82 83 84 mm. those were the very and there might have been total in all of america um six six shows my yeah. very first show that i traveled out of the the area was the Dallas Quilt Show, which is still held every year at the beginning of March. And that wow. show also has grown. It used to be at, at Fair Park, which was a little, you know, the state fairgrounds in downtown Dallas, but now it's at the Market Hall, so it's grown immensely from that as well. But that was the first time I, I actually traveled out of this area. And everyone, everybody bought also, whatever you had, they bought it. And right. <laughs> along with that, do you remember um, coming up to New York when they had the Great American Quilt Festival? It was sponsored yes. by the American okay, Museum of American Folk Art. Mm-hmm. Um, I was one of the first people to do that as well. And I, we just were, we, we, anything we had, we ran out of. And I sent my helper back to Brooklyn. Told, I gave him a hundred dollars. I said, <laughs> take everything that we have in our possession that we, that we can use for quilting, and bring mm-hmm. it back to the booth because that was the first day we were already selling out of everything. He <laughs> comes back empty-handed. I said, oh. what happened? He said they bought everything. There were people were waiting in the lobby to come into the quilt show. They were just throwing money at him, and he sold everything in the way in the way back to the booth. <laughs> Those were the days, Pat. Those were the Those days. Those were the days. I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, besides being an author, you've you've written quite a few books. I mean, you've also done uh, some tools, and your your rotating mat is kind of one that a lot of people um, probably have who were who have been quilting a while because you were about the only person who had them, or you know, you you kind of invented it. So, how did that happen? Honestly, that happened. I was teaching in Palm Springs. I will never forget it until the day that I die. I thought this woman was going to cut off her breast. She was cutting so close to her body that I just said there has to be a better way of something that I can make. And so there's a company here in Brooklyn that manufactures all kinds of tools and can put things together. So I went to see him, and I said, this is the mat, but I need to get a rotating base that's very steady that won't shift or go off balance or something and so we came up with that idea and our original one was nine inches 
and then we went to a 14-inch one, and then we went to a double-sided one that you cut on one side and you press on the other side. Oh. But unfortunately, we haven't made them probably in about 10 years because, mm -hmm. as you know, the marketplace was full of them, and um, we just got knocked off by about seven other companies, but we are looking at the possibility of bringing it back again. So if any of your listeners would be interested, I would love to hear from them and their feedback. I'm constantly getting uh, calls and also people coming up to me at Quilt Show saying, what happened to the Brooklyn Revolver? Won't you make <laughs> it again? But we made it here in Brooklyn. I don't want to take it out of the country. It was yeah. made in Brooklyn. And I think, you know, we want to do that. And my, my son was seven years old at the time, and he's the mm -hmm. one who named it. I said, what are we going to name it? You know, cutting turntable or something? He said, no, Mom, yeah. let's call it the Brooklyn Revolver because you're from Brooklyn, and it, it rotates. So oh. that's kind of how that came, up, came about. So if anybody I has one, name. enjoy. <laughs> Thank yeah. you. Thank you. I just love the name. It is so cool. Um, so, so tell me a little bit about the quilts that you like to make. I'm a, a traditional quilt maker, and I'm drawn to the old patterns that are really simple yet complicated when you look at them. And I'm also drawn to the fact that they were really working without any quote-unquote studio space. They were working just for the space they had in front of them. And how uh, the color palettes are just so striking, and everything is so neat and precise. And they were basically working with, you know, cardboard templates or diaries that they were cutting up and piecing these. Um, in my collection of both quilts and tops, a lot of the pieces, the pieces themselves are pieced because the fabric was, you know, running short and they wanted still mm -hmm. to get it finished. Um, I love, of course, the period of like 1880, 1890 with the pinks, the browns, the chocolate brown and the greens. Mm. That's my, probably my favorite. And yeah. with our house being 1896, yeah. it all kind of ties in. But oh, well, I'm... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I guess I'm, oh, yeah. and I, I mean, I, but I don't know how to applique. I mean, I can applique, but I, I'm more of a piecer. Um, I love to hand quilt, and some of my classes that are most popular are hand quilting, and I think we're coming back to that of both hand piecing and hand quilting. I mean, Jenny Beyer was in the forefront of doing that also years ago, and I'm just, I love doing doing that as well. Just gives you solace, and you don't have to leave your family necessarily. You can like just sit there in peace with them. Or it's also portable that you can take a small project with you wherever you're going, um, unlike getting to a sewing machine and having the correct light right. and, you know, so <laughs> forth. Yeah, it's very portable. That's true. Anything that you're going to do by hand. I think it also teaches you so much to um, – to be able to do it if you've never tried hand piecing even, uh, it's, it gives you good skills. It does give you good skills. And also, you know what, it takes you to another place. Um, it just is very calming and there's not a machine running and you're not trying to keep up with it and your bobbin didn't break or whatever. And people who I teach say, but I don't know how to make small stitches. By the end of the class, they're like, I can't believe I did this because it's just very... It's, you know, it's just re very repetitious in a way that you're making these small stitches. So basically, I think when you are hand piecing, when you once you get to hand quilting, you're really, really good because you've already mastered yeah. that skill. So uh, we're going to wrap it up here, Pat. I'm going to tell people to visit you at comequiltwithme.com, and there you have a schedule, right, of where you are. Yes, well, we're updating our website this summer, so that will be the, in the, within the next 30 days. Um, we're redoing the whole thing. Um, cool. It's like when you're so busy, you don't have time to do it, but we are getting back to, the, to updating the web and tell them just to keep checking back. Okay. And they also could email me. Thank you so much, and have a great day. Thank you, Pat. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Uh, we'll be right back. 
sewing machine is the heart and soul of my design process, and working on a machine that clicks with me makes it easy for me to create. That's why I use a variety of baby lock machines, especially the Crescendo. Baby lock has thought through everything I need to have to create amazing quilts. I love that the control panel on my Crescendo is so intuitive and easy to use. Best of all, it's large enough to see clearly. The Crescendo's features remind me that everything Babylock does is for the love of sewing. Make your next quilt project a piece of cake using cake mix recipes from Moda Fabrics. This unique triangle paper is designed to work in conjunction with Moda's 10-inch square and 5-inch square pre-cuts that make baking a layer cake or charm square quilt easier than ever. Each pad includes enough sheets for each piece in your pre-cut stack, including a few extras for practice, plus a few simple block and layout ideas. Just mix with one or two Moda layer cakes or charm packs and you're ready to start stitching. Pick up ingredients for cake and cupcake mix recipes at your local quilt shop. Welcome back to American Patchwork and Quilting's podcast. I'm your host, Pat Sloan, and we are now going to go into a museum. I am so excited to talk to Frank Bennett, who is the CEO of the National Quilt Museum in Paducah, Kentucky. And if you've been to Paducah, you have been to the museum. Frank, thank you for being here. Thank you. I appreciate it. You know, this is um, so fun to to get a little bit of backstory and a little bit of deeper knowledge about the museum because a lot of us will go to to the city and be doing something else maybe a show there you know the big quilt show or we might be visiting one of the shops and we see the museum but there's more than just that little bit of exhibit um you know what what is the first thing that you feel that people should kind of know about the national quilt museum Great. Well, first of all, we're here for the quilting community. We belong to the quilting community and are primarily funded through the quilting community. Our work is to, our job is to bring the work of today's quilter to new audiences so that quilting continues to grow and expand into the future. Our goal is that 100 years from now, people are enjoying quilts around the world, including in our museum, and quilts that are being made right now are preserved and available for people to enjoy well into the future. So how long have you been uh, working at the museum? I've been here almost eight years almost to the day. Wow. So how did you end up with a job at the National Quilt Museum? You know, just a brief Backstory. Yeah, sure. I was a marketing consultant in Dallas, Texas, and I was looking. I was had been on the board of directors of the museum for about three years. I, it's a longer story, but basically, I'd been associated with the museum for a while. And the previous director retired. She had done a great job, but she retired. And I looked at it, and I have loved this museum for many years. I feel like the work that today's quilters do. Well, first of all, I feel like they're phenomenal artists and that every single person on earth should see their work in person. And so when this opportunity came up, I knew it was a place I wanted to be. I put in a resume for it. They went through a whole interview process, and here we are eight years later. Yeah. 
That's I, I great. I just love that you were actually on the board first. I think that that yes. gave you probably such amazing insight to everything. Um, now, one of your jobs, besides running the museum, you know, making sure the lights stay on, as you say, uh, yes. you know, you, you, <laughs> that's an important thing. Uh, you go out and talk to people about, you know, people that are not quilters about what the museum is and the audience. So, you know, when you're doing that, what kind of groups do you talk to? I have done groups, literally, I spent quite a bit of time doing that. And I've done groups from a Houston morning show to an organization where literally they just have a speaker every, every month on a different topic that they think is going to be interesting. I've done Rotary's groups, Lions groups, any group that's out there and wants to listen. The, the thing I tell people is that if you can see this work in person, then you will be sold. You will become a fan. And I will go anywhere around the world to tell people about this work and these artists and get them excited about it so they come see a museum and start paying attention. Yeah. So what is one thing that that non-quilters are a bit surprised about when you share what the museum is? Well, there's an interesting thing that goes on where when I tell you that we're going to a museum that has paintings, then mm -hmm. you're, you assume we're going to see the best of the best in paintings. You're going to think about Monet and Picasso and all the masters and what have you. But when we say the word quilt, people don't have a reference point to what's possible when they think about the quilts that they've seen uh, in their own house as they grew up. Mm -hmm. And those are fantastic quilts, too. I love every quilter and every quilt, but it doesn't mm -hmm. represent the best of the best of what quilting has to offer because they don't have a reference point to that. And so oftentimes they, they can't conceive of what can be done by quilt. And by the mm -hmm. way, I'm constantly still amazed at what I see. I've been doing this for <laughs> yeah. eight years. Are you like mm -hmm. that, too? Where I yes. think people still <laughs> blow my mind. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you're like, wow, I would never have thought of that, and how did they do that? You know, it's like, yeah, yeah constantly. And, and do you take a, what I an think, actual – go ahead. Now, that's part of what I think makes this art form so exciting is mm -hmm. it always evolves, it always keeps going, and we're always going to see things where we're like, how is that even possible? Right. <laughs> Do you take a quilt with you when you go on your talks? When I can. Uh, when I, It depends where I'm going. And if I can't, then I do it all by PowerPoint presentation. I have a, a set PowerPoint presentation that has within it about 30 quilts from the collection of a lot of different styles. And I go through and talk about these artists and how they work and, and show the uh, – and just show the slides. It depends on where I'm going. Uh, mm -hmm. It's always better when I can bring a quilt, but obviously yeah. protecting the quilts is very important too, so you have to weigh that each time. You know, yeah. for example, uh, you know, we just had uh, some of our quilts go overseas to Japan. Um, it just it depends on the situation and what I'm able to do. But either way, they're definitely going to see a whole lot of the quilts in the presentation. And uh, like I said, I will go anywhere to talk about this art form. The other uh, really key thing that you told me was important for the museum to get across, and you personally you like to get across, is preserving the quilt heritage. You know, the stories, the physical quilts. You know, what type of things is the museum doing to help people preserve? Great. I appreciate that. We want every single quilt that everyone owns, regardless of quality, the quilting is the story of our lives and the story of how we live as a people. 
And we want every quilt to be here for people to enjoy, regardless if it's in the National Quilt Museum or in somebody's house. So obviously we have very meticulous meticulous processes here Mm -hmm. in the museum for how we preserve, ship quilts, handle quilts, the whole thing. In addition, our registrar, Laura Hendrickson, will write articles. If you go to the National Quilt Museum's YouTube page, we occasionally will publish a video with her. The most recent one was her showing how we store quilts, where she goes through Mm. the process of folding the quilt and then putting it in an acid-free box with acid-free paper. And just making that available because we want every quilt to be preserved. And there's not that many organizations that have professional structures that are able to take quilts. But that Mm -hmm. doesn't mean that you can't use best practices in the quilts that you own to do everything you can to make sure they're here for a long time. What is one thing that quilt makers for their own pieces they have at home should do? Like what is one real important thing? Well, a few things. I'll hit you with a few real quick. Okay. First, absolutely keep it out of sunlight. Mm-hmm. Second, and really just direct light in general. Like I've seen situations at home where it's like a light bulb light, but it's directly on and it's too close, too much mm-hmm. heat, too much is too bright. Second, definitely get yourself an, an acid-free box and definitely keep it on a shelf and not on a floor. I've talked to so many people who – while it was a nice air-conditioned, temperature-controlled area, it was in the back of a closet, and then a mouse or an animal in some way got into it. Mm. So definitely temperature-controlled. Don't put it in your attic. Don't put it in your basement. Uh, definitely put it in an acid-free box, and definitely put it on a shelf and, and not on a floor. Uh, it just reduces the chance that something's going to happen to it insect-wise. And then when you hang it, make sure that you do take it down sometimes and let it rest. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. So because it can get sort of bowed at the top or um, yeah. just what, like the batting can sort of drag on them. Well, they can. Yeah. And obviously it's textile. So, you know, they mm-hmm. can stretch. And then if, you know, if you've probably seen the ones where it's a little bit wavy and mm-hmm. it's up for a long time in someone's house, you can't get that out of it. Yeah. It, it's really difficult to get it back straight again. Right. So. The um, the museum has a ton of things. Like people can go to the quilt museum. You can go quiltmuseum.org. That's where you find all the information. But I want to know, like, one sort of important thing that we can find on the website, Frank, that will benefit us. You know, what what do you want to point us to? Okay. Well, several things. As far as things that will benefit you, the basic stuff like the schedule, the schedule of traveling exhibits. Pay attention mm-hmm. to the education and classes that are going on. Uh, we also have a blog on the website where you can keep up with, just like on our social media, you can keep on up on what's going on here. But if I'm going to tell you one thing you'll benefit from, we have a fantastic Block of the Month program. I don't know if you've taken a look at it, but mm-hmm. you can follow it on either our website or on our Facebook. It's a Facebook group, National Quote Museum Block of the Month. There's 12,000 people involved. Every month we get a different artist to create the block and be the narrator of the group. It's very active. They have a lot of fun in it, and I think everyone should do it. It's just a lot of fun. 
Yeah. And block of the months are just so much, they're a great way to meet people and the museum is setting it up and running it. So it's well run. So you will have a lot of fun with it. So that'll be good. Everybody can go follow up on that, Frank. Um, now tell me what is an unusual quilt? You know, like I, it's hard to say what's unusual, but what would you consider? You as the museum guy consider a unusual quilt in the collection. Well, actually, the most unusual quilt in our collection is a completely wooden quilt. So, mm. yeah, an, an artist actually who's a, uh, a, a wood sculptor where he makes things out of wood created a quilt that is carved and then painted so it looks exactly like a quilt. People will walk into the room where it hangs and just <laughs> think it's a quilt. They'll never see yeah. it at all. Yeah. <laughs> and it's uh, we've literally had folks who walk into the room, look around, and it says wooden quill four different ways. But mm-hmm. it's just so different than what you think it's going to be, and that's how our mind works. We, you know, we, mm-hmm. we see what we perceive, and right. they just never see it, and then they walk back out, which I think is hilarious. Right. Yeah. You know, that I I don't think I've seen that one. Does it hang all the time? It does. It's in. If you go into the lobby and take a left. It's mm-hmm. in a conference room, oh, okay. and uh, you definitely, next time you're in Paducah, even if you don't yeah. have time to go into the gallery, pop on yeah. in and see the wooden quilt. It's absolutely worth it. Okay. <laughs> How often do you rotate the exhibits in the main gallery? Exhibits change throughout the year. The rule of thumb is that if you come every four months, you get a whole different experience. In mm-hmm. fact, we have two exhibits changing this just this week. We have a corner gallery, one-woman show with Tula Pink, and uh, another one-woman show that's Victoria Finley Wolf coming in at the same time. They change 10 to 12 times a year, but that, that's a good uh, rule of thumb is if you come once a quarter, you'll get a different yeah. experience. Uh, okay, that's good. Yeah, because people will travel there for all different kinds of reasons and go through the area to be able to hit Paducah at any time. So, you know, there's you know, everybody needs to stop in um, and be sure. Now, do you have a newsletter? Yeah, we do have a digital newsletter that comes out. What you want to do is go on our website and then just sign up to get emails from us, and you'll get uh, monthly updates. We put a lot of content out, so we, we absolutely do. Just sign up on, on our homepage of our website. Yeah, Frank, this has been so much fun. One quick, quick question. Have you made a quote yet? I have not made a quote yet. <laughs> okay. When you do, let me know because I want to see I it. absolutely. I absolutely will. I appreciate that. Okay. Thank you, Frank, for being here. (laughs) Sure. This has been fun. You have a great day. So everybody visit the National Quilt Museum by going to quiltmuseum.org. Sign up for the newsletter. And we are going to take a break, and we'll be right back in a few minutes. American Patchwork and Quilting a year delivered right to your door. Each issue is packed full of quilting patterns, how-to techniques, and tips and tricks from the editors and designers. And right now, we have a special deal for all of our podcast listeners. Visit allpeoplequilt.com deal to subscribe and enter coupon code podcast at checkout to get 60% off your subscription. 
find the link in our show notes. You don't want to miss out. Welcome back to the American Patrick and Quilting's podcast. I am your host, Pat Sloan. We're going to wrap up today's show with a good friend of mine, Kimberly Jolly. You know Kimberly from the Fat Quarter Shop. Uh, she and her husband own that company, and they do wonderful videos. You see uh, her books through her So Emma Publications, the Sew Alongs, and the Charity Projects, and all kinds of other things. Kimberly has an imagination that finds all this fun stuff for us. So, Kimberly, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. You know, I just wanted to catch up on all the things you've been doing because we just, uh, for this year, wrapped up the charity project. And it's been, you you guys always knock it out of the park with the charity project. And I wanted everybody to know what that is and what you do. So do you think you could just tell me a little bit about um, how you set it up? Yeah, so each year we come up with an original free pattern. We make the pattern go with a with a line of fabric, but we also make it go very easy so that you can use it from your stash. And we provide free patterns on selected days that you can download for free. And then what we ask is maybe $5 in return for each free pattern. And the donations this year went all to Make-A-Wish, and we've raised over 21500 as of right now, so we're super excited. And we've decided that each year we're going to be focusing on Make-A-Wish as of now. Um, but mm-hmm. we always try to come up with something that you really want to make um, so that you can make it uniquely yours, and it's really easy. It either uses fat quarters or half yards or just something you can pull from your stash, and um, it's just been great. And then um, we raise all the money from the customers, and then Kevin and I give $10,000, and Mark Dunn from Motive Fabrics gives $10,000. And so as of now, we're at $41,500. Wow. So amazing. That, that is crazy. Then and I've been and we have quilts also that go up for auction. So yes, there's and every, right now yeah. Yeah. You can go ahead. So right now sorry. So right <laughs> now we're at over eleven hundred dollars with that. So that's amazing too. Yeah, so my quilt is up for auction and Melissa Corey's quilt, and hers looks totally different because she did a a little bit different layout. So it's been fun to see both of those, and the bidding is going on, so you can still get in on it. This is – and how many – you were saying you you might try to get – that would cover like three different wishes from Make-A-Wish? Yeah, we're thinking it'll cover four now. So okay. um, Yeah, and what happens with Make-A-Wish is – the child gets to pick what they want, and so the wish, the wish could be a very small dollar amount or a very mm-hmm. big dollar amount. It really depends on what the kid is wanting. Yeah, yeah. So that, that really would make a difference, but it's a nice chunk, so they can uh, be, it can really help a lot of people. Oh, so I love that you do this. How, do, you, do you remember how many years you've done it? I think four or five. Yeah. This yeah, might be my, the fifth year. That's what I'm thinking. I think about because I may have not done it the first year, and I think I've done it all the rest. So I want to switch gears and talk about video tutorials a bit because you put out uh, a lot of those, and they're so useful. Um, how do you structure, like, your video channel so that people can find things? So we try to do um, just a big variety of things so that we can touch 
anything you're looking for. So we originally started out with our shortcut series, which works for a lot of people because it uses pre-cuts, and most of us have pre-cuts in our stash. So that's, mm-hmm. that's one really good thing. And then we have classic and vintage videos, which take uh, vintage quilt designs and make them a little bit more modern or a little bit more relevant to today, which reaches a lot of people. Yeah, that's have, fun. Yeah, and we have, like, DIY tutorials, and then we invite guests to come in so they can show different things and um, maybe product demos. We just kind of try to have a variety, and we do listen to a lot of the comments that we get. If we get a lot of requests for one thing, we will put that mm-hmm. right on our list. Mm-hmm. Now, some of these you also have where they can, like if you show how to make a block or how to make a quilt, like a lot of people like to have it in print. So a few of them you will have a print option available. Yes, a majority of them we either have a free pattern or a very low price pattern. There's only a few on our channel that do not have a coordinating pattern. Yeah, and I think that's really great because a lot of times it's great to watch the video, but when you're actually working on it, like I personally like to have something sitting there. I like the paper. (laughs) Yes. So another thing that you do is when you go to the trade shows, you and your team go out and do videos uh, during the show. Uh, do you mostly do, you do interviews? Do you just show people in their booth? What do you do? We try to show the booths of the bigger manufacturers that we sell the most of because obviously mm-hmm. that's what our customers are looking for is, you know, that yeah. type of thing. And then we try to interview the most popular designers that most people are asking about. Because it makes the customer feel connected, and it Mm -hmm. makes them feel like they're really there, rather than a social media post. With a video, you can really kind of see maybe a little bit 3D. You can kind of just see the whole thing. So it just kind of makes makes the customer feel included. Right. I love watching and just thinking, just move the camera to the right a little bit. I want to see that other thing. That's like (laughs) Yes, and, you know, we have something in the works that might you might be able to do that soon on future Ah. videos. Ah, (laughs) fancy. You're going to be all fancy. That's Lily, right? Lily does a lot of your camera work. Yeah, Yeah, she does. I had so much. I, I love the one time where you had some of your staff come in on your Facebook Live, and you we, everybody got to meet them. That was really cool. Yeah, we might do that again. Um, we did customer service, so maybe we should do mm-hmm. another um, another kind of team. It's just you know some people really do not want to be on camera, so <laughs> if I even bring it up, they will just like yeah. run screaming. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They so all of a sudden they call it sick. That's like yeah. <laughs> Uh, so the Facebook Live, uh, how do you do that at a certain time every week? So on Wednesdays, we do a cross-stitch live, and that is on our cross-stitch Facebook and our cross-stitch YouTube channel, which is just that quarter shop cross-stitch, and that's at 9 a.m. Central on Wednesdays. And then on our quilting, which is just our fat quarter shop, we also do a live stream on Fridays at 9 a.m. every week. Yeah. And, and then if like, we're going to change the t- yeah, if we're going to change the time, we'll post a little something yeah. on social media. And do they last about an hour? Yeah, they're about an hour. The quilting might be a little bit over an hour, and the cross stitch are usually like forty five minutes. Yeah. So I wanted to talk tools a little bit, Kimberly, because you are someone who loves to sort of experiment and see what's out there. Because you do have a store, the Fat Quarter Shop, you, you know, obviously have a lot of tools there. But I think you personally like to sort of know what they do and how they work. 
Uh, how often do you me- get a chance to actually play around with tools? Oh, my goodness, all the time. If something comes in that's, you know, new, and I think it's like a new um, – something new and different, I'll definitely take it home and try it. Um, but all the time, I'm always playing with stuff. So what is one of your new favorite tools? You know, something that you actually are using a lot. So I've been cross-stitching a lot. So you actually turned me on to the needle threader by Clover. Oh, yes. <laughs> and I hadn't tried that before. So that's one of my favorite, and that's all straight from you. Yeah, that is a great needle threader for 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 anything with embroidery and floss and cross stitch. Um, have you ever had like a tool that you think I'm never going to like this, and then you end up liking it? Yeah, the needle threader is a great example. Oh, no, that was what I thought. <laughs> I thought, Why? oh, I don't. Well, I mean, don't you need said that. it was great, so. I- yeah, I thought, I don't need this. And then, yeah. you know, I noticed as I get tired, I need something to thread my needle. So that was a good mm-hmm. one. And then the Vivilux lights that you can put on your um, put on your glasses to help yeah. see better, I didn't really think I was going to like them. I thought, oh, the light's going to be, you know, dull. It's not really going to work. And then now it's like I have to have them. So it's good to always try because even if you think you're not going to like something, sometimes you do. Yeah, I I got the 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 lights too. They're little clip on lights, is what Kimberly's talking about. They go on your glasses, um, and they shine right down on your work, which is fabulous. Because in the years ago, do you remember Kimberly when they had the one with it was like a headband that you put on your head? Do you remember? Yes, yes, I do remember. I don't I don't remember what it was called though. Yeah, they were a little. They they didn't work quite so well for me. So I like the ones on the glasses. That just they work really good. So I want to switch and talk cross stitch a little bit because I've found out um, just since following you that a lot of quilters like to cross stitch. They have cross stitch. They still cross stitch, and now they and a lot of them are picking it back up. Now I personally was not a cross stitcher, uh, and I'm learning. Uh, so how how about you? When you started getting into this was it because you wanted to do something different had you done it before I had done it when I was a child and Mm. um I probably stopped when I got into college but I I I needed something I was finding I was going all these places for my kids and having nothing to do because you know baseball you have to show up an hour early just so them they can practice you don't watch the practice but you're just sitting there you have nothing to do and mm-hmm. so I thought, I'm not, I'm not into applique, so that wasn't really something I could take with me. So I kind of got into it because I, I just needed my hands to stay busy because I didn't want to play yeah. on my phone, right. you know, excessively. <laughs> right. So that's kind of how I got into it. It's just my kids having a lot of activities and needing something to have. You know, the, the cross-stitch community out there is quite vibrant, um, and they, the people who primarily cross-stitch also do other things as well. You know, they quilt, so it seems like a perfect marriage to do both of these. I wonder if you could give me some tips on what things you like to use to cross-stitch, you know, particularly maybe if it's new to, to someone. So I think if you're new, it's better to start on 8 o'clock because you're less likely to get frustrated with um, mm-hmm. linen. It's a little bit harder, and I, I don't even – I have tons of experience and don't even use linen. I think having a really good needle, either a Bowen or a John James, so that you have a quality needle, that would be um, my first. And then from there, I would start something small so you don't get frustrated. You know, mm-hmm. if you take on a project too big, it's just going to frustrate you and – 
if you do a small project, you can kind of get all your kinks out and all your mistakes and figure out what works, works best for you before you take on something bigger. Right. And you've um, been carrying now a whole wide variety of styles. So there are, you know, some that are a little bit more complex, some that are a little more traditional, some that are quite, you know, I'd say sort of modern-looking cross-stitch. Um, do you, do you use, always use a frame when you're, you know, or like, you know, like the Q-snap frames? So I was using the Q-snaps, and recently in the last um, couple of months, I learned how to stitch in hand. Mm. And so I've been doing that, but if I am traveling, I will use the Q-snap because I really need it to stay steady in the car. Yeah. So it kind of What's... depends, and I can just interchange. Oh, that's good, because I'm trying to practice without the frame, because I'm not so good with the frame. I feel, because I applique, so the, by doing it in my hand, it feels more like what I did when I applique or when I do embroidery, mm -hmm. so it feels more natural to me. So so those of you who are never tried it before, you might try that. Um, so what, tell me one thing that's uh, new coming up, so everybody should be watching out for so we are doing a really big event in July um, on for both quilting and for cross-stitch. For mm -hmm. quilting, we're doing this really cool quilt. It's called Mary Mini, and I'm going to do a video. It's a free pattern, completely free. All you need is a layer cake and some background, and I'm going to do the quilt. Actually, um, I'm going to video it. I'm going to make it as I go. And so okay. that will be different. We've never really done a, a quilt like that, and it's, it's a Christmassy-ish quilt, but you could also yeah. make it non-Christmassy. Yeah. And then we're doing Jolly July with cross-stitch, where we're going to start a new ornament each day in July. And at the end of the week, I'm going to show you different finishing ideas. So lots awesome. of stuff coming up in July. Well, Kimberly, this has been so much fun to catch up with you and learn about all the new things going on. Yeah, thanks for having me. I, I, um, I love it. I love talking to you. <laughs> You're the best. You're the best. Everybody go out and visit Fat Quarter Shop, and we will be back next week with a new show. I'm Pat Sloan. See you then. Hi, all, and thanks for listening. If you love the American Patchwork and Quilting podcast, please subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And don't forget to rate and review the show. It helps other quilters find us. Have a creative week. Thanks for listening. Keep in touch. American Patchwork and Quilting is on Facebook, Pinterest, and Instagram at All People Quilt. Email us at apqpodcast at meredith.com. Resources for this week can be found at allpeoplequilt.com slash podcast. And if you love the American Patchwork and Quilting podcast, please subscribe on your favorite podcast app for free. And don't forget to rate and review the show. It helps other quilters find us. Have a creative week.